0: Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who sees the depths of our hearts and you love us the same. Thank you that you are the God who can take our crimson sin and you can wash it as white as snow. Father, thank you that though you know our hearts, you know our sin, you know our brokenness. Thank you that you still want to speak and know us. Thank you that you, the almighty, powerful, sovereign Lord, Wants to bend to bless us. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would speak powerfully through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do take your seats. Blue breeze, baffle me. Pick a good one. Uh, and you're in for a delicious, sweet, tangy treat but pick a bad one, and you're in for a sour, bitter, soggy, or flavorless taste that will leave you underwhelmed and unsatisfied. As the great philosopher and scholar Forrest Gump once said, life is like a punnet of blueberries, you never know what you're going to get. You could pick some good ones for breakfast with yogurt and a drizzle of honey and be set up well for the day. If it's particularly good, it might make it onto your social media. Uh, But pick some bad ones, and there might be a sense in which you already know how the rest of your day is going to pan out. Uh, That maybe the disappointment you've tasted at breakfast is going to carry on throughout the rest of the day. Maybe it's not blueberries for you, but, but really this is our experience of all foods, isn't it? Uh, strawberries, raspberries, avocados, pasta, rice and potatoes, chicken or lamb uh, all can be a f- lottery of flavor, depending on the quality of the food itself or, or the way in which it's been prepared. At uh, one person's delicacy uh, may well be another person's disgust. As we come away from a m- meal out, we can leave feeling particularly joyous uh, or deeply frustrated depending on whether the restaurant lived up to our expectations. Our experience of the world that we live in is a complex mix of somewhere beautiful and broken. And that experience extends to our relationship with food. It can be a source of great joy or great sorrow. We live in a world capable of abundant harvests and dreadful famine a world of five-star restaurants and five-course meals, but with the knowledge that there are those out there who are struggling to piece together five meals in a week. And though we live in a, a very privileged part of the world when it comes to food, the reality is that for each of us in this room, uh, to a greater or lesser extent, and in a variety of ways, we will experience food through the lens of both beauty and brokenness. And yet, in in the midst of all of that greyness, in the midst of the beauty and the brokenness of this world, uh, the psalmist invites us in Psalm 34 to taste and see that the Lord is good. Food is a major theme in the Bible. There's at least 1,207 different references to it throughout the Scriptures, And like all the other created things of this world, it is designed to point us to the Lord that we might see and enjoy his goodness. And that is my prayer for this series that over the course of the next few weeks, as we look at some particular meals throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we would taste and see that the Lord is good But as we think of our experience with food in this world, it it would help and enrich our understanding of God's character. And it would be enlarged. And my hope is that we're not just going to hear the same thing every week. That we wouldn't just taste and see his goodness in a particular monotonous way. But that instead the eight passages that we've chosen from Genesis to Revelation would be like a specially curated taster menu. Uh, Helping us to savor and and taste the Lord's goodness anew uh, as we enjoy the aspects of his character that are sweet to our taste, but also as we consider the aspects of God's character that initially taste sharper to our taste, but also speak and testify to his goodness. Uh, And that together, as we wrestle with sweet, sour, sharp, as we wrestle with different flavors in the scriptures, it might lead to our palates being refined, expanded, as as we help one another in the highs and the lows of life to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so this evening, as we come to perhaps a familiar first course for many, in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, we'll be reminded of why our experience in this world is both beautiful and broken. We're not going to go through every verse. And as we go through them, more questions may arise. Please do chat about them after the service over a cup of tea or coffee. But as we go through the verses that have been read, I want us to see how we can taste and see that the Lord is good, both when the blueberries taste sweet, but also when they taste sour how we can be encouraged as followers of Jesus to worship the Lord in the goodness of this life when life is going well, but that we would even be able to get a taste of how to worship the Lord for his goodness when life is a struggle and when it seems bland or bleak. Two points tonight. Point one, when the blueberries taste sweet. Genesis chapter 1 uses a wide-angled lens to tell the beautiful account of how our all-powerful God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence out of nothing. Before Genesis chapter 2 then uses a more focused, zoomed-in lens to describe God's creation of Adam and Eve and the narrative that takes place in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 1, please do have those Bibles in front of you. Some of the verses are going to appear on screen, but not all of them. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 1 describes how the earth God had created began as formless and empty. And then the first three days of creation describe how God goes about bringing a structure and form to his world, creating the light, the sky, and the land. Before days four to six, then describe him filling that structure with stars and planets, animals and creatures. And then finally, human beings made in his image who are created in order to rule over and work the creation that they have been placed into. It's an amazing, poetic, orderly narrative of our all-powerful God speaking into existence his creation. A creation that by chapter 1, verse 31, he can look over and declare to be very good. And as we focus in on a couple of references to food in these chapters, I want us to see two ways that food testifies to the goodness of the God who spoke it into existence. So look down with me at chapter 1, verse 11, and then chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. I think they'll appear on screen but they might not be readable. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruits with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And then moving on to 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. as self-sustaining beings who did not need food. But from the very beginning, we see that we have always been created as dependent creatures who require food from our Creator in order that we might live. And though it may not sound like it, this this helps us to taste and see the goodness of our God when the blueberries taste sweet. Genesis 1 verse 27 shows us that as human beings, we are created in the image of God, which is an incredible privilege and a humbling reminder. The privilege is that you and me are made in the image of our creator, a design to reflect his goodness and his character in a way that the rest of creation just can't. We're given rule and responsibility over the earth that we live on, created to enjoy a special relationship with our creator. We have the privilege of being made in the image of God. But you and me are made in the image of God, which is a humbling reminder that we are not God. We are not all powerful and all sufficient like He is. We would not and cannot exist independently from Him. We are an image of God, just like a print of the Mona Lisa. May be good, but is no substitute for the real thing. We are made in the image of God. And food is is one of our daily reminders that we are not gods, uh, that we are dependent on the food and the water that our creator provides in order to survive. It is something that we so often take for granted in the West, but it's one of the reasons we are called to pray to God that he would give us our daily bread. Uh, Because the reality is that if his provision of food comes to an end, uh, well, so then do we. At Norman Versber writes, "Whenever people come to the table, they demonstrate with the unmistakable evidence of their stomachs that they are not self-subsisting gods. They are finite and mortal creatures, dependent on God's many good gifts." Food is a gracious gift from God, because daily it reminds us that our source of life has come from our Creator every meal that we enjoy in this week to come is an opportunity for gratitude because it reminds us of our God's continued gracious and generous provision. Uh, But it also reminds us of God's goodness because he is not like us. He is good. Uh, He is better. He is holy because he is unlike us. He does not need to eat he does not grow weary faint or hangry if he's gone a few hours without food food reminds us that god is all-powerful and all-sufficient in a way that you and me never will be and so every time that we eat we are presented with an opportunity to contemplate god's goodness in being so other to us that we can turn that into worship We can worship God for his power and glory and self-sufficiency, for his sovereignty over his creation and his sustaining hand. But these chapters in Genesis, these verses in Genesis 1 to 2, they also help us to worship him for his abundant generosity to us. Because yes, food is a reminder to us of God's goodness, because it reminds us that he is self-sufficient and we are not, that he is king and we are not. But viewing his goodness purely in those terms, it could leave us with the danger of coming away from these chapters feeling pretty cold. And that is not the picture that we read of in Genesis 1-2. to When I was a student, I bought something called Huel. A nutritionally complete powder that you mix with water that contains all of the nutrients that your body needs. The idea is it's cheap, nutritional and easy to make, uh, though the real selling point was it came with a free T-shirt and shaker. And whilst, in my experience, it it might be a good alternative to breakfast or lunch now and again, I would not recommend making a permanent switch to it for every meal, both for the sake of your gut, uh, but also for the sake of your taste buds. God did not provide Adam and Eve with a Huel equivalent, Uh, He doesn't just give humanity one type of food to sustain them. He could have done. But instead, he created us with taste buds uh, so that we might enjoy the variety of flavors and smells and textures of the vast array of seed-bearing plants and trees that he has provided. And if we skip ahead to Genesis 9, a variety of animals too, all of which speak to the creativity and generosity of his character. God has given us food to sustain us, but he's given it to us so that we might enjoy it, uh, that we might image him as we work with it, get creative with it, but also so that it would help to fuel our joy in the Lord. Uh, As our enjoyment of food as a good gift might roll beyond the gift and lead us to take joy in the giver. Just like when you receive a, a present at Christmas or for your birthday, you can enjoy the gift itself. But at the same time, the gift also speaks of the love and the thoughtfulness of the one who bought it for you. So too, as Christians, one of the distinguishing things about us to the rest of the world is that we have another level, another layer of enjoyment available to us every time that we eat. Because yes, when we eat, we should and can enjoy and savor the goodness of the food itself. The food in our mouths but our enjoyment of it should also help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. As we receive and enjoy any of God's good gifts to us in this world, within the boundaries that he has provided within Scripture, they can help us to comprehend more of his creativity and his generosity and his goodness. So tomorrow morning, if you sit down to eat your blueberries, and they taste beautifully sweet, Let that be an opportunity for worship. As you wake up and feel hungry, or or throughout the day as you're craving lunch, maybe just pause. Let the hunger that you feel be a reminder that you are not God. And that is good because the weight of the world does not rest on your shoulders. It rests in his sovereign hands. Let the hunger that you feel turn turn you to praise the Lord that he does not grow weary or faint. And let it fuel your confidence in him as you thank him for his strength where you feel weak. As you eat and feel satisfied. Praise God for his gracious provision to sustain you physically and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually too. And pray that you might extend the grace that you have received from him to those around you. As you savor and enjoy the differing combination of flavors and textures in your mouth as you eat. Let your joy and your praise roll beyond the gift. So you might taste and see that the Lord is good. And be led to praise his goodness and creativity. The goodness and creativity of the giver who made a world that he could look over and declare to be very good but what about when the blueberries taste sour? How are we to taste and see that the Lord is good when our relationship with the food that we eat is difficult? Or when the pain and the darkness of the world in which we live seems to overwhelm us to the point that it's all that we can see? A few weeks ago, I overheard one of our interns here talking about some combinations they'd like to try when baking a cake. Their first suggestion was a chorizo and vanilla cupcake. And their second was combining together lemon and parmesan in cake form. Now, I must admit that my first thought was to ask whether this was a sinful combination. But as they explained their rationale, it it began to make more sense. Some of the best flavor combinations revolve around strong contrasts, maple syrup and bacon, sweet and salty popcorn, sweet and sour chicken, all combinations that seem to work because of the stark contrast in flavor that's brought together. Contrasts are essential as we think about how we are to taste and see that the Lord is good in a world where we are so often aware of the bad And I think that Genesis 3 helps us to taste and see the Lord's goodness all the more clearly as his goodness shines out against the backdrop and the darkness of human sin and human rebellion. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve rebel against the order of the very good creation that God had established in a way that resonates and is all too familiar with our lived experience Uh, We see them move from being content with imaging God, ruling under his authority, enjoying the creation that he had placed them into, to wanting to take God's place on the throne, uh, deciding good and evil for themselves, changing the boundaries he had set in chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, uh, to ones that they were more comfortable with. Uh, As both Adam and Eve chose to believe the voice of the snake that they had just met, instead of the voice of the God who had created them and walked with them in the cool of the day, as they eat from the one tree in the garden that God had said not to eat from, the gift of food that had been given for their sustenance and their enjoyment became the very means by which the world became cursed and frustrated. The beauty of Genesis 1 and 2 was replaced with the darkness of Genesis 3. And yet it is at this dark point in the narrative of Genesis 1 to 3 that we see the goodness of God on display so clearly. Because it's at this point of tragic rebellion where God would have been well within his rights just to click his fingers and wipe Adam and Eve off the face of the earth and try again. The Bible could have ended three chapters in and God would have been totally justified to do so. But Instead, his mercy provides another 1,186 chapters to the story. God has said to Adam back in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And in order for God to uphold his goodness, his justice, his word, in order for him to remain faithful to the word that he'd spoken in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve must suffer judgment for their sin, the penalty of which is certain death. They already knew this. They were already feeling the effects of their rebellion as the shameless harmony that they had enjoyed in chapter 2 had been replaced by a nakedness and a fear. And so in verse 8, when they hear the Lord come into the garden, their instinct is to hide. Hide to cover their shame in small fig leaves, so that he might not see what they have done, and so that they might not suffer his judgments. And when he asks what they have done, they, they blame everyone other than themselves, so that they might not have to face his wrath. But in order to remain good and just and holy, the Lord must judge them. And so as we come to hear his verdict in chapter 3, verse 14, we come fully expecting Adam and Eve to die right there, right then. But instead we read something else. Words full of judgment, yes. But words seasoned with grace that, that help us to taste and see the Lord's goodness in both salvation and judgment because of what Jesus would come to do. Because as God pronounces judgment on Eve, frustrating childbearing by making it painful, he also promises that one of her descendants will be born who will triumph over the evil serpent. A a wounded victor who will crush the head of the serpent, but whose heel will be struck in the process. Allusions to Jesus, our serpent crusher, whose heel was stung at the cross as God pronounces judgment on Adam, frustrating his work by making it sweaty and toilsome and declaring those famous words of death in verse 19, for dust you are and to dust you will return. He delays the fullness of his judgment because he can look ahead to Jesus' work on the cross You can imagine Adam and Eve hearing, to dust you will return, and expecting a marvel-esque moment as they just crumble to dust on the spot, but they don't. In God's judgment, yes, they do certainly die, but because of his mercy and his grace in sending the Lord Jesus, it won't be for a while, and death will not be the end. Genesis 1 to 3 helps us to understand the grayness of this world, at the reason why our relationship with the world around us and the food that we eat is both beautiful and broken. It's an explanation that makes sense as to why we can come away from a meal satisfied, sad, or somewhere in between. And it's an explanation that resonates with our experience of this world around us that doesn't minimize the joys of this life or the difficulties So tomorrow morning, if you sit down to eat your blueberries and they taste painfully sour, let that also be an opportunity to worship. If your breakfast doesn't taste the way that you would like it to, then let that fuel your desire for Christ to return and make all things new. Or if your interaction with food is marred by sin and suffering this week, then praise the Lord for sending Christ as our serpent crusher, the one who knows what it is to be tempted by the evil one and suffer bitterly at his hand, but who also triumphed over him at the cross and so can help us and resonate with us in those painful moments by his spirit to help us to say no to sin and to respond properly to suffering with both lamenting and endurance. Finally, right at the end of this chapter, we see God say in verse 22, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What we know of the tree of life it is very limited. It appears in Genesis, Proverbs, and Revelation. But from this verse, it seems to be that eating from it would lead to living forever. And so at first, verse 22 reads like really bad news. Adam and Eve will not live forever. But as you look out and consider the brokenness of this world, even the headlines over this past week, could you say that this is a world in which you would want to live forever? In a place where, yeah, there's beauty where we're also really conscious of its brokenness too in his mercy God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden so they don't eat from the tree of life at that point and therefore live forever in, a, in their sinful state in this broken world and it's all because he has somewhere better planned a, a place where they will eventually eat from the tree of life As the biblical narrative unfolds, it becomes clear that if we have put our trust in Jesus, then yes, we can taste and see that the Lord is good in this world, both when the blueberries taste sweet and when they taste sour. But if our trust is in Jesus, then we can also be certain that he has made us a permanent dinner reservation in God's new creation, where we are going to see him face to face in a world where the food is always pleasing to the taste. And where we, what we now enjoy of God's creativity, generosity, and goodness in part, there we will enjoy in full forevermore. Because as we'll see at the very end of our series in Revelation 22, this will be a place where the tree of life makes a return. And it will be in a kingdom where eating from that tree will only bring blessing. As we will be with Jesus who truly satisfies our every desire and hunger. The one who gave us his life so that we might taste and see fully that the Lord is good. Let me pray and then we're going to close in song. Father, thank you that you know each of us present here in this room, that you're sovereign, that you know the highs of our lives and the difficulties. Father, thank you that you know those of us in the room for who life is sweet and for those of us wrestling because it's sour. Father, at whatever end of the spectrum we're at, would you help us to taste and see that you are good Would you help the joys that we feel to become even more joyful as we contemplate what a wonderful creator we have who might have designed the good things of this world in such a way that you have and that you are committed to ridding this world of all that spoils and harms it and leading us to a place where all things are recreated, where you are making all things new where there will be no more mourning, crying, famine, or pain. Help us to worship you in this coming week, we pray. Amen.